All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are, uh, are here this morning. Glad you joined us uh, for this time of worship together. Appreciate that. You know, I was thinking this week about uh, some of the great stories of the Bible, some of the great characters and figures in the Bible, and I was also thinking about my own life a little bit, and uh, I'm going to tell you something uh, about me, something that I think is true of me, maybe it's true uh, about you as well, nothing like super profound or anything like that, but maybe telling, and here it is. I just, I really like instant success kind of stories. How about you? I really, I really do. I like stories where ordinary people wake up one day and change the world. I like, I like stories like David and Goliath, where, where seemingly 80-pound weaklings wake up one day and take down the biggest giant the world has ever seen. Right? I, I, like, I like stories like that, don't you? They're fun. They're fun. I like stories uh, about church plants that go from zero to 500 or zero to a thousand in a year. And they're reaching all kinds of people. And it's just like, boom, everything just happens and everything works together like that. I like stories about losers who can't win an election to save their life, who become the greatest president our country has ever known. I love stories like that. I love stories like in, uh, stories of inventors that change the world with innovations they create in their garage. Right? I, I love stories like that, don't you? They're just fun. I like instant success, sort of just add water kind of stories like that. And I think I kind of like to idealize those kinds of stories perhaps and maybe even uh, shortcut them or sort of ignore certain uh, parts of the backstory because really deep down I think I want that to be true of me. I want to I wake up one day and experience instant and easy success in any area of my life that I, de- I deem appropriate that particular day, right? I want it to be poof, like everything's just working. I want to have uh, the, the sort, sort of genie in a bottle kind of experience where all of a sudden I wake up and everything's going my way. Everything is just as I want it to be. I want to be the hero. I want to wake up one day and change the world. I want to be used by God to do extraordinary things. I want to experience overnight success like that. In fact, I think I'd like to experience the success uh, way more than I'd like to become the success, if that makes sense. And uh, I think uh, kind of going along with that, I, I want to... I prefer to believe that heroes and giant slayers and famous presidents and great inventors are all born and not made because that sort of lets me off the hook a little bit. I prefer to believe that greatness is just sort of in me. Maybe it's lying dormant right now, but one day I'll wake up and poof, it will become a reality. But here's what the, the, the truth is, I think. The truth that I've seen over and over as I've, as I've watched people that try to shortcut the process and just move to instant success right away. It's, it's, it's what I've seen as I've seen pastors and leaders over and over and over that have tried to shortcut that fail. It's what I've seen over and over throughout the pages of Scripture. Here's what I believe is true. The reality is that great leaders and world changers and giant slayers and even great Christ followers are not simply born, but they are made. You become that way in the little moments, in the behind the scenes kinds of thing, when the doors are shut and nobody else sees. Their character is forged behind the scenes, sometimes through failure, sometimes through disciplines, or just doing the right things when no one else is looking. Their souls are often developed on their knees in their prayer closets in small moments and small things that are done over a long period of time. They become who God made them to be and then God uses them to change the world. I think that's what's true even though I I would prefer it wasn't that way. (laughs) 
because I think the reality is, uh, Paul and I were talking about this around the office. I think the reality is, I mean, I want to, I want to preach great messages, but it's not always the most fun to prepare great messages, right? I think I want, to, I want to be a great husband. I want that to be true of me, but it's not always as much fun to do the work to have a great marriage. You know what I'm saying? And I think I see within me, and maybe you see within you, the capacity that's, that I really want to shortcut things. I want instant success. But what, what I think we're going to see from God's word today and what, what, I, what I hope you're going to hear is that that's not really reality. Reality is great marriages and, and right, great lives and great uh, things happen in our lives as we do the little things with God as we do the little work uh, with God in our character, as we build day after day after day after day. It's the small things that make a big difference in our lives. I was thinking about uh, so many of the passages in, in, uh, in God's book that even I, I think I have the tendency even to sort of rewrite in my mind. Like I mentioned David and Goliath earlier. We, we hear things like that. And we think instant success. See, I mean, David was sort of a nobody. He wakes up one day and poof. But there's this little, little known uh, part of the story that we tend to ignore. Yes, it's true that on the 41st day, uh, David got up, little 80 pound uh, shepherd boy dude slayed the giant. Yes, that is certainly true true, but I, I want you to look at something. Uh, King Saul, um, I'm trying to shortcut the story, so I apologize, but uh, I mean, hopefully most of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, but there's this part in the story where the king um, of that day, known as Saul, calls David before him, and they, they have this whole interchange, this whole back and forth, and uh, he ends up basically saying to David, David, why is it that you think your little your little 80 pound body can defeat this 9 foot tall Goliath who in their right mind believes that you can do that why why can you do that and he responds and he says this in 1 Samuel 17 verses 34 through 37 listen to this he says this but David said to Saul your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock i went after it I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, again, we tend to sort of read right over that part, maybe not remember it, but I want you to think about it for a minute. He's, he's, he is calling back in his mind. I mean, the, the king is standing before him saying, why is it that you think you're up for this challenge today? Why do you think you'll be able to stand up before a giant and defeat him when no one else could? And he goes back and says, well, he goes back to the little things and says, well, here's, here's the way I've been living day in and day out. I've been faithful with what my father and what God has entrusted to me. He's, I'm a shepherd. That's what I do. And he says, you know what? Every day I've been watching them and there've been moments time and time and time again, when, uh, when a giant of sorts comes, a lion or a bear or whatever else. And they come to attack my father's flock. They come to attack the sheep. And he has a chance in those small things to sort of decide and to build who he's going to become. And what does he do? He says, well, I sort of, was I afraid? Probably. Could he run away? Yes. <laughs> right. But he chose to stay and to fight. And he's saying, you know what? In those little moments, 
I am becoming who God made me to be. I'm learning courage. I'm learning to stand. I'm learning to trust God. The same God that delivered me then, the same God that rescued me then, will deliver me today. I learned that I serve a big God, he says, a a God that is willing and able to save, a God that is able to work in my life and on my behalf. He's done it before and he will do it again, David says. David has come to know deep in his heart the kind of confidence that only comes from experience, right? He's learned boldness. He's learned courage. He's learned faith in the day-to-day. He's learned to trust God in the little things, And he's gained confidence and confidence and confidence. And now he's saying, there's a giant before me and I'm confident that I'll be able to stand. The truth is that boldness and courage and greatness and confidence and faith like that comes not just from being born that way, but it's built in the small things, the small moments of our lives. I'll tell you what, it was in the everyday moments when nobody else was watching in an unglamorous job as a shepherd that David built this very bold faith for God. If he had waited until he stood before Goliath, he would have run away like everyone else, sure shooting. But he didn't, he was ready, he was trained, he had learned courage, he had built his faith, and now he was able to stand up on the 41st day and slay Goliath. Another example I was, I was thinking about this week is uh, uh, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Again, a, a very common kind of story. The king of that day, a different king, right? A, the king of that day had sort of made a proclamation, had made a law that nobody could pray in the, in the entire kingdom. Nobody could pray to anybody but him. He quite literally had a Messiah complex, right? He was like, no, I am a God, right? You can pray to me. Direct all your prayers at me. And Daniel was like, no, I, I, can't, I can't do that, right? And uh, he ends up standing under enormous sort of pressure. Now, the question is, did he just magically rise up on that occasion, or was, or was this built? And I think his response in, in Daniel chapter 6, uh, you, can see, uh, you can see the answer to that question. It says this, now when Daniel learned that uh, this decree had been published, that couldn't pray to anybody but the king, he went home to his upstairs room uh, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God. Look, what, what does that next say? Just, what does that say? Just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Then these men went uh, as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And there were consequences, right? He got in trouble, but God rescued him. Now, the, the thing that's crazy about this is, again, this is another one of those stories that I think I tend to, to sort of uh, read over in my head and just think, well, Daniel, just, he, he was raised up at just one day. He woke up and God empowered him to be this great leader, this great man. He, he, God gave him great boldness to stand despite incredible pressure, which God did. But you know what? That faith, that courage was built wasn't it? It was built day in and day out. He kept praying three times a day the way he had always prayed so that when that day came, he was able to stand. That is what happens. Great leaders, great Christ followers aren't just born that way. They are built by the small things in the day-to-day kinds of uh, ways 
um, so that when the big things come, we are able to stand. It's a biblical principle, right? Small habits, small things that make a big difference. The, the, the principle that's talked about in the Bible over and over and over is this whole principle known as sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. It's kind of a, a farming metaphor, right? What you plant is what you will harvest one day. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 puts it this way. Says this, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, a person, reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from that flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit of God, from that Spirit will reap eternal life. So therefore, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. It's a principle of sowing and reaping reaping and sowing. You play the way you practice. You reap what you sow. According to this passage, each one of us is practicing. We are sowing things into our lives. We're practicing. We are becoming something. If you practice serving and loving God and those around you, then he says you will reap benefits from that. If you practice looking out for number one or putting your own needs and your own desires ahead day after day after day after day, then you will reap certain consequences from that. It's not meant as a threat. It's just a principle of sowing and reaping. He's just saying, this is how it works, right? You reap what you sow. I wonder what actions uh, are going on in our lives. I wonder what ways we are living. I wonder what small things we are rehearsing over and over and over and over and over again. I wonder what things we are planting in our lives that are affecting who we are becoming. That are affecting the broad things in our lives of who we are becoming as people. I wonder if we are storing up for the days when we face giants, if we are preparing, if we are practicing, if we are training so that when the hard things come in our lives, we are able to stand in terms of character that we are able, are, we're building relationships that are able to withstand, right? Kinds of things. I wonder if we're building a relationship with Christ so that when hard things come, we can stand and, don't, and, and aren't crippled. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he puts it this way, similar kind of thing going off of this sowing and reaping thing. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners, uh, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, he says, I don't run like somebody just running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to everyone else, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What's his point? He's he's talking about training, disciplining yourself, spiritually speaking. He's saying, you know, it's the small things that make a big difference. Don't overlook your own life, your own soul. Come up with a plan that will help you grow spiritually so that you will become all that God intended for you to be. Friends, we don't just wake up one day and stumble into greatness. We don't just stumble into godliness. We don't stumble into all that God has for us. You don't just wake up one day and change the world. You train for it. You become who God made you to be so that you're ready with whatever he places before you. You invest in your relationships with him. You feed your soul. You stretch your faith muscles. You uh, give of yourself and your resources and your time. All that has been invest, uh, invested uh, and entrusted to you, you invest for God's purposes and for God's kingdom in the little things day to day. 
and slowly you become who God has created you to be. You become more, uh, more and more like him. Paul says, man, I, I beat my body. I discipline myself so that I live for the stuff that really, really counts, the stuff that really matters, the stuff that really lasts. And I run hard after God and his plans and his purposes for me. Well, I, I don't know if I'm communicating this well or not. I'm trying to, but, but do you kind of see the image that we're talking about here? It's the little things. The, the Bible tends to talk about you, you reap what you sow, what you plant and what you do in those little things makes a big difference in who we are and how we are able to stand. Paul says, train yourself, therefore, with that in mind, keeping that in mind, train yourself for godliness, train yourself to, to follow the spirit, to know God, to love him, train, I mean, train yourself up so that you are ready and you are able to stand. Well, let's talk about how do we do that? And we just thought, I just thought this would be so appropriate, right? It's the, it's early on in the year. We've got the whole year uh, before us. It's the time of year where people make new year's resolutions. They start thinking about plans and changes they want to make to their life. And so I'm going to talk about a few things things today. This is not rocket science, but I, I, it, it's not something that you'll be shocked by probably. But I want to push on this and just say, who are we becoming? Are we putting, are we putting the disciplines, the little things in our lives that, that will work throughout this year so that at the end of 2017, we can look back and say, you know what? My faith has grown. My relational world, my love with my kids and my wife has grown, right? God's character and God's heart has grown in me. And even I, my, uh, uh, my heart has grown and uh, my life has grown as I followed and served him in this world. You want to grow in this year? You want, you, want, you want to be more alive at the end of 2017 than you are now? Do you want your, your, your spirit and your soul to be more full and more alive than ever before? Then, then here's a few practices. Here's a few little things that we can do, that we can put into practice that will make a big difference in the upcoming year. First one is this. Uh, it, it's, again, not rocket science, right? It's get into this book, right? Read God's book. Spend some time, spend increasing amounts of time learning to hear God's voice and respond to his voice through his book. Have a, have a quiet time. Set aside a few minutes every day. Open up his book with a heart that says, God, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to hear from you. And I want to follow you. And we, when we come at his book that way, we open it up. We read even a chapter. Uh, you know, Take five minutes. Read a chapter. And then just say, God, how do you... How can I apply this to my life today? It's amazing what the living God will do. God speaks primarily. If you have a hard time hearing God's voice, God speaks primarily and first through his word, through the words that are contained in this book. Man, you open this up, you never know what he's going to do. He's, people have opened up this book for thousands of years and their entire lives have been changed, right? The, the entire trajectory of their life has been changed. Their families have been transformed. When people merely open up this book with a heart like that that says, God, I want to see you and know you more. I want to follow you. Open up this book and they meet the living God. It's amazing. 
It's a spiritual practice that is unlike anything else. It's been going on, like I said, for thousands of years. People uh, in the Old Testament, Israel, and, and kind of before the, even before the printing press, didn't have free access as we do uh, to, to God's word like that. And so they would actually memorize large portions of scripture so they could kind of, kind of rehearse it and repeat it in their minds over and over and over. We have the opportunity, the privilege that we can, I mean, Probably most of us have at least one. Some of us have 10 or 20 or 30 of these things in our homes, right? We could open them up and read it. And I, I, I don't know. We know this is a good thing. Do we know that reading the Bible is a good thing? Do we know that God will work when that happens? We do. And yet the stats would say we just don't open them up and read them. We just don't. And so the challenge, right? The challenge is would you open up this book? This year, would you set aside a regular rhythm, the little things when nobody else sees? Would you open it up every day, day in and day out? Would you, would you, would you pray and look to God and would you respond to him? Would you hear from him? Would you put these words in your heart, right? In, in your mind and then look to live it out. You know, I was reading a while, a while back. Um, was reading uh, through the book of Ezekiel uh, in my own kind of time with God. And Ezekiel is a, a funky book. If you've never read it, you should read it sometime. It is, it's a, an interesting book. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet. God prompts him to do all kinds of kind of crazy things uh, as a way to sort of signify God's relationship with his people and to kind of give them word pictures and images about how God feels towards them and what he does in them and this kind of thing. And there's this, this is one spot in his Ezekiel 37 that always sort of surprised me. First of all, it, like I said, it's kind of a funky, it's kind of weird. It's a, a weird passage. And yet I think the, the application from it and what God's saying there is really cool. It says this. <clears throat> so this is God, again, using sort of this imagery. He uses imagery of bones, like dead bone, dead people's bones, uh, as sort of a, a picture. And he's, he's saying that it's sort of like the, the remnant that some of the, some of the people of Israel are sort of like those dead bones. Uh, and, and this is what he says. Okay, stick with me. I'll, I'll bring the application at the end. You'll understand. It says this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. And he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. I don't know. And then he said to me, prophecy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and I will cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So he does this and the prophet, he, he preaches the word of God over these bones and God does what he says, right? He brings these bones back to life. He puts flesh on them and it's this whole kind of imagery that's going on. And, and you might think, what in the world is the point of all this? And I think, here's, here's what I'm going to say. When the dead bones hear God's word, God breathes life into them again. It's, like I said, it's, an, it's imagery, right? That, that God is, is saying to his people, he's saying, you know what? Many of you are like that. There is deadness in you. 
There are areas that are without hope. There are areas that you are struggling. There are areas, whatever. And he says, here's what happens. You open up my word. And when you hear the word of God, I show up and I breathe my life into you. And things that were dead before come back to life. Things that were hopeless before find hope. Do you hear it? That's what happens when you do little things. We open up God's word and we start reading. We come with, with hearts and even hands that are bowed and surrendered and say, God, speak to me. I want to hear you. I want to know you. When we do that, God says, we come to life. I wonder if any of us need to take a step in 2017 to get in this book more, to read, to grow, to come to life. I got one more scripture I'll share on this one and then we'll, we'll move on. But Second Timothy puts it this way. He says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be, listen to this, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, may be thoroughly and completely and adequately equipped for every good work. And I, I was thinking about that this week and just thinking, man, how would you like to be adic- prepared by God to be thoroughly equipped for whatever he places in your path, for whatever giant stands before you? on that day. Think that would be a good thing to be thoroughly equipped? Okay, you guys are being way too quiet. You think that's a good thing? Man, can you imagine? I want to be, I want to be ready. I want to be ready and prepared by God for whatever gets thrown before me that day. And he says, you want to be thoroughly equipped? Open up this book and read it. Plant those seeds in your soul and you will reap life in amazing ways. Oh, I was thinking uh, this week as well about uh, Galatians talks about the fruit of the spirit. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Saying uh, those kinds of things uh, are the fruit, the byproduct of staying connected with God. This is how you stay connected with God, right? This is the primary, primary discipline, the, the small thing that makes a big difference in our lives. All right. Second thing again, uh, did I say this isn't rocket science? It's not, but we need to be reminded, don't we? Second one I'm just uh, saying is prayer. You know, if I were to go to a marriage counselor and say, Hey, uh, I want my marriage to get better. You know, one of the things that would likely come up communication, <laughs> It's true. It's probably true of any of any uh, relationship. If we want to have better relationships, we probably need to do a better job at listening and communicating, right? Back and forth. When we do that, our relationships tend to flourish. Our relationship with God is really no different, right? When we when we are talking about prayer, we're talking about communication back and forth with the living God. He delights in hearing from us. We are made, literally, we are created for relationship with him. That's how life works best. And if we want to flourish, if we want to come to life in 2017, we need to invest in that relationship and we need to learn to pray. Statistics would say, by the way, that the average American prays less than two minutes a day. 
less than two minutes a day. Many of us barely even, you know, get a sentence or two out during the day. This is the most important relationship there is in your life. And, and, and God tells us again and again and again and again to come to him, to pray, to cry out to him, to bring our requests to him. If we're sick, to pray for healing. If we're, if we're rejoicing, to come with thanksgiving, right? to pray over and over and over. Increase that communication. Small practice, but it makes a big difference. Listen, the, I could have picked out a gazillion. I picked out a couple of verses here, but Ephesians puts it this way. Pray in the spirit. What does that say? Sometimes? Is that what that says? On all occasions, uh, God says to his church, he says, I want you to pray on all occasions, all the time. Would you pray with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests? With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And he goes on and says uh, in Colossians, it says, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself I wonder, and don't raise your hand or anything, but I wonder how many of us could honestly say that we are devoted to praying. That we're devoted to our connection with God, to to talking to him, to hitting our knees. We're devoted and committed to praying on all occasions with all kinds of requests. That we're devoted to praying for the church, for God's people, for God's mission in this world. Devote yourself to prayer. I... um, Intended to share this last week, but I, uh, I spaced it, but now God's bringing it to mind this week. So I was reading a book last week by uh, George Mueller, um, and uh, it was, it was a, a challenging section of this book. He talked about what he called the, the sin of prayerlessness, and he just was talking about um, we should call it what it is. And he's not talking about not praying at all. I mean, that kind of a thing. But he's talking about not having that devoted heart, that devotion to praying. And he's just saying, you know, when we think that we can do it all on our own, and therefore we don't seek God and we don't pray. When, when, we, when we just try to take care of stuff, he says, that's pride and it's sin. When we don't pray, when we don't invest in that connection with God, it's sin. And I have to say, personally, it was a butt-kicking book to read. I was sort of like, wow. And I, I had to get down on my knees and just uh, kind of honestly just say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I've blown it. I mean, I'm far too, I mean, I'm far too self, uh, self-reliant. I'm, it's, it takes way too much to get me to my knees. I have not been um, devoted to praying like this. Yeah, I pray. I mean, you pray. I, I mean, I pray on a regular basis. I get on my knees. I spend some time. But I'm like, I am not, I, I think I am less familiar with the kind of prayer that this book talks about than I would like to admit. And maybe you are too. It's one of the things God's kind of speaking to me about, kicking my butt on saying, would you pray if you want to grow and flourish and come to life, you want to experience the fruit of the spirit like we talked about, then you've got to foster that connection with the living God. You've got to remain in him. Part of how we do that is we pray. No matter what's going on, if things are going great, then you get down on your knees and you seek him and you give him thanks and you rejoice. You worship him for who he is. When things aren't going good, this is our op- this is our opportunity to express our heart to a God that's crazy about us, 
says, God, would you help me? My kids are driving me nuts. Not really, <laughs> but right. I mean, can you, can you come and help me? Or, or my marriage is falling apart. God, would you, would you bust in? Would you help me? God, stuff at work is a mess. I don't even know if I'm gonna have a job tomorrow. God, would you intervene on my behalf? Would you provide for us? Would you work? It's ways that we can express our heart to God. We can cry out. The Bible says he loves to hear your voice. He loves it when you and I come to him. He loves it when we express. But prayer is not just a one-way deal, is it? It's a two-way deal. And so we express and we enter into his presence and we connect with him and we talk. And then as well, we stop and we enjoy his presence and we listen for the promptings and the leadings of his spirit, again, that align with his word. He speaks and he works. I can't quite explain it, but man, there is something about prayer that bolsters and builds our faith and our intimacy and our connection with God in amazing ways. It makes us aware of his presence in unbelievable kinds of ways. And I have to say, when we see the living God answer our prayers, and there are all kinds of times when, when, uh, you can see it and you just recognize like there's no way this is coincidence, right? This is the living God busting into my life and answering prayer and there's no other way I can explain it. There's so, that does something in us. <laughs> that makes us, that gives us courage and boldness. It gives us that faith and that confidence like David that says, you know, I have seen God be faithful here and here and here and here and I am confident and I fear nothing because I know he will be faithful here and into the future. Bring it on. That kind of confidence only gets built through practice. That kind of faith gets built in us in the small things over time. Oh man, I have so many cool stories. Um, I'll just mention one. I, I, so I told you I'm reading this George Mueller book on prayer. And uh, actually, he's, his whole life is cool. George Mueller, he was an orphanage um, guy that founded orphanages, Christian orphanages, about 100 and, I don't know, 50 years ago or something. And uh, the, the only difference between him and every other orphanage um, kind of person that runs an orphanage is uh, he decided his would operate entirely on faith. And so anytime there was a need, rather than, um, you know, putting out a newsletter, rather than uh, doing a GoFundMe, rather than whatever, he would just simply go in the other room, he would close his door, he would pray, and God would answer the prayer. He ended up writing a book with all the answers to prayer. I think it's called 10,000 Answers to Prayer. I have it. He documented and recorded that. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's, it's an incredibly faith-inspiring and faith-building uh, kind of idea, but he's documented all these kinds of things, and they, he just saw God come through again and again and again and again. This one time in particular, I th- uh, thought it was cool. He, uh, he had, they had some friends in that were visiting, and, uh, and they had, in the orphanage, they had no food for the kids for breakfast. So they get up that morning, and again, uh, you can imagine, I mean, there's nothing in the fridge. There's nothing in the cupboards. Their bank account is at zilch. They have absolutely nothing, no way to provide for themselves. And these friends that were there visiting the Mueller's, he invites them in, takes the hand of one of the kids, walks in the other room, and says, let's set the table, and let's pray, and, and then watch what God will do. And so they set the table sort of as an act of faith. They bow down on their knees and they start praying. And as they start praying, a knock comes at the door. 
They go to the door. It's the baker. The baker had kind of a panicked dream in the middle of the night that the kids had no bread to eat. And so he got up at like two o'clock in the morning. He baked bread. He brought it. And he said, I, I don't know why, but I had this, I couldn't shake this dream and this feeling that I needed to bake bread. So I, here's the bread. Uh, hopefully it helps. And um, Mueller thanks the guy. He takes the bread, goes and puts it at the table and says, but we still have no milk for the children. And so they, they go back to prayer thanking God for the bread and start praying that God would provide milk for the day. Just at that time, another knock at the door. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's the milkman, right? And he's, he's got this huge cart out front. The wheel broke right in front of the orphanage and they need to repair it. The only way they can do it is they need to lighten the load. Is that crazy? Again, this is one example of 10,000 in his life. 10,000. And this is just one man. I could tell you stories. We could, we could have church all day around here. We could stop the service right now, and we could go around and start telling stories about how the living God showed up in our lives, about how he answered prayer, because he's, this stuff is real, right? He's real. He answers like that. And when we pray, so much happens. But our faith gets bolstered. It changes who we become. We submit to the living God. We recognize our dependence on and our need for him. It, we, we develop intimacy with him. We come to know him and love him more and more and more. And, and we get to see cool stuff like that and experience his work among us. I wonder if any of us need to increase our time of prayer, moving it from a minute a day or two minutes a day or three minutes a day to actually carving out some space and a place and some time. Again, small things where we go in our, our prayer room, we close the door and we pray. I like to find little spots that I can hide and do it, <laughs> right? Where nobody else will find me. Just to, uh, Sometimes I'll even, uh, like if, I do, if I'm praying at home, I'll take a blanket and put it over my head. I like to hide it. It just uh, kind of blocks everything else out, helps me just zero in with God. Or I'll go someplace where nobody else is or uh, kind of in a corner or whatever else and just spend some time praying and seeking God. Maybe that's something you need to just get a regular place and a regular time. There have been seasons of my life where I'll actually put it on my calendar with a reminder just to say, would you pray, right? Just, to, just a little reminder. Why? Because I need it because I get busy and distracted and everything else. And I need that reminder. So, you know, no, I want to build this in my, in my life in the small moments. I want to build that relationship with God. Well, I better keep going. Ooh, we're getting in trouble. Third thing I'll just uh, I'll mention real quick is, uh, is we got to practice living by faith, putting this stuff into action. Romans one uh, seventeen and Second uh, Corinthians five seven are just a couple that just they tell the Bible tells us over and over that we are to live by faith and not by sight. The righteous will live by faith. Those kinds of things. God calls us again and again and again, not just to know things, right? Not just to read this and be like, oh, that's really good information. I know a lot about what the Bible says. I know a lot about God, right? It's not just about, it's not just about inflow, like feed me, feed me, feed me. I want to I have all this information and know all these things. But, but it's, it's always got an 
active component, a faith component of, yes, it's great to know that the, what the Bible says about how you should handle your money, but God's never going to let you stop there, right? He's going to want you to put it into practice. Like, okay, actually, instead of just knowing that God is a generous God, instead of just knowing that God is trying to form in us generous hearts, he's going he's gonna to nudge you and keep pushing you until he says, put it into practice. Actually, live generously. <laughs> live that way. He's going he's gonna, to, instead of just knowing, oh, it's a good thing, we should be good people and take care of the poor. <laughs> he's not going to let you get away with it. He's going to move you into the realm of faith where this stuff gets put into practice and lived out because, man, that makes all the difference in the world. There's this uh, passage in Philemon. It's the only, um, it's a one chapter long book in the New Testament. It's the only verse I know from Philemon by heart, but it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. And it's actually not necessarily talking about evangelism kind of stuff, but sharing uh, in terms of generosity and in all kinds of ways. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you can have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And I just think, man, there's something about it when our faith muscles get activated and we put this stuff into practice and we quit just thinking or knowing and we start doing, all of a sudden our faith comes to life in so many ways. We are transformed. I was thinking this week about the Dead Sea. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea before? It's a a little spot in Israel, kind of on the border. And uh, it's actually the lowest body of water on earth. The banks to the Dead Sea are 400 feet below sea level. And so you can imagine it's crazy. The the Jordan River runs into it um, and nothing runs out of it. It's called the Dead Sea because... Uh, the salt content in this body of water is four times what regular ocean salt water is. Four times. That amount of salt is toxic. It's toxic. It kills almost everything that tries to live in it. it animals can't really survive well in that kind of environment, in that kind of culture. And I was thinking about it this week and just thinking, man, so often when we think of growing in our faith, we start thinking of, oh, I need to learn more and get more. I need more podcasts. I need to listen to more messages and read more books. I need more Christian radio and I need all these things. And those are good things. Those can be great things. Those can help us grow. But if it's all inflow like that, if it's just, just water rushing in and it never goes anywhere, it becomes toxic. It has negative consequences on our lives because God isn't trying to, he's not trying to, uh, to just give us everything we want. He's trying to transform us and make us like, he's trying to make us like him. He's trying to connect us and bring us into a a saving and a faith-filled relationship with him. He wants to show his power and he wants to show what he can do through you. So he's going to activate you by faith. He's going to stretch you and take you beyond what you think is possible into what he wants to do. I wonder if any of us know more of what God says than we're actually living out. I wonder if, uh, if what we really need to come alive in this upcoming year involves, of course, of course it'll involve reading the Bible and involve more praying and involve more connection with him. But I wonder if the part that'll make the biggest difference for you is to start giving it away, is to start telling somebody else about what God's doing in you, about what he's teaching you, passing it on. I wonder if any of us, if the thing that would make the biggest difference is to start serving, is to start giving, is to start loving, is to start investing somewhere else. 
small things that make a big difference in our lives. Opening up God's book, developing that relationship, fostering that relationship through prayer, just expressing our hearts and even hearing back from him by his spirit, and then moving into the realm of faith. I wonder what God might be prompting you to do in this upcoming year to come alive, to grow. We've got all kinds of resources. You might have noticed on the table when you go out. Uh, all, we've got tons. I've got books, um, pamphlets. <clears throat> we've got growth. Our growth group quarter is starting, right? Don't get eaten by a whale. <laughs> Sorry, but um, all those kinds of things to the video. But all of these are opportunities, are ways that we're trying to give you opportunities to grow, to come alive in your faith this year. Would you take a step or two or three and really put those small things into practice? <clears throat> Uh, that will make a big difference. We've got Bible reading plans. Uh, my goodness, there's any, any of the books out there, they're mine. Um, if, if you think that you'll read it, don't just take it and put it on your shelf. But if you think you'll read it, you think it'll help you grow, do it. There's books on prayer. There's books on, if you're a little bit more on the skeptical side of things, and you have questions, there's some, que- there's some books out there on that. Take it, read it. Love, love for you to do so. There's some pamphlets on just how to discover more of God's plan for you. Take it, read it. We'd love for you to have it. They're gifts uh, that we're, we would gladly give. But let's take some steps of faith so that when we get to the end of 2017, we can really uh, see a big difference in what God's done in us through these small things. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. Thanks for the good plans that you have in store for us. And Lord, I pray that you would not just leave us complacent, that you wouldn't just leave us stuck in neutral, that we wouldn't just get swept away by the busyness and the franticness of life. But Lord, I do pray that we would grow in our most important relationship this year, that relationship with you. I pray that you would form in us your heart, that you would grow in us that relationship with you, that you would give us a hunger and a thirst to know you and to follow you and to live for for you. I pray, God, that you'd move us beyond just one-way stuff to, to, uh, to putting this into practice in our lives as well, that we could live by faith, that we could follow you, not just in our heads or hearts, but in our lives as well. So just come have your way, God, in us. We love you. We need you. We open up our hands, our hearts, our lives. We just pray, come Lord Jesus, come and have your way. We need you in your name. Amen.